Welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman. You're about to make the jump from the dishonest mainstream media into free and independent thought from key thought leaders on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. On today's episode of Indie Thinker. The vast majority of Christians have no idea why Jesus went to the cross. Christian pastors need to step to the plate. They need to be honest. They need to not echo the culture. We are not just a cultural institution. We are a biblical and eternal institution. Where you understand the why behind the what. What's up, everybody? Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you had a great Labor Day. Today, I have a very special episode planned for you. I was recently on the podcast, Refining Politics and Culture with Michael Seifert. Michael has become a really good friend, and he's a tech entrepreneur. And in fact, he's launching his social media site this month called Public Square. It's, it's going to be just absolutely amazing, so I'll really encourage you to check that out. But on his podcast, I, I was recently a guest, and we had a really great conversation, so I wanted to share that with you guys today. So we're, I'm actually doing kind of a crossover episode where on my episode of Indie Thinker today, I'm just going to post my time with him. I, I really think you'll enjoy it. We talk about some interesting stuff. Among them is the California recall election because, I mean, it seems like Larry Elder is going to be the new governor of California, which would just absolutely be insane. So we talk a little bit about that. But most importantly, we talk about culture. We talk about faith. And we talk about how Christians should be impacting the culture at this really, really opportune time. So I think there's some helpful information throughout the podcast, and I think you'll really enjoy listening. So I wanted to share that with you guys. Before we jump into the episode, make sure that you're subscribed to Indie Thinker, but also go over and check out Refining Politics and Culture, because I think you'll really like some of the guests and some of the information that, that Michael's putting out there. All right, without further ado, here's today's episode of Indie Thinker. All right, friends, welcome back. It's an honor to have everyone here listening today to Refining Politics and Culture. I have the honor of sitting with a new friend, Reed Uberman, from Tennessee, a state of freedom at the moment. Yeah. He's with Indie Thinker. He's an author, a podcast host, a writer, a pastor, an apologetic, someone who cares deeply about the truth and about communicating the truth. Reed, it's an honor to have you here, man. Hey, dude, thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. I love what you're doing, by the way, Mike. Thank you. Appreciate that. And uh, love what you're doing. And we're, we're of the same vein. We have a similar DNA for culture. And yeah. um, also, I think we have a, a similar perspective related to how culture affects politics and how sure. faith affects culture even more importantly. And it's this sort of downstream trickle. And so um, I think both of us understand that the most important thing is the most important thing, which is, yeah. is, our, is our heart, is our culture, is our society aligned with the Lord's heart. And his definitions of righteousness, of peace, of social structure. And if it's not in alignment with those things, our politics, our societal structure will suffer because of it. Um, so, Reed, it's great to have you here. I'd love for people to hear a little bit about you. Who are you? What's your background? How'd you get into seeking and speaking the truth? Yeah. Well, okay. So I'll try to make it as quick as possible, but it's a long story. So um, I'll start all the way back at 19 years old, where I first uh, experienced my conversion to Christianity and why I did that. So um, I had grown up in and around church, like very many people in the South. So I grew up in uh, the northern part of Florida. Um, and Southeast is synonymous with Christianity, but it's also synonymous with kind of a cultural Christianity. So I was pretty much an adapter of that. And I went into the very first church 
that uh, would have been considered charismatic. And, it, and when I grew up in high school, that was like the crazy church. But of course, nobody ever went to it. They just called it that. Um, and the very first time I went to it, I just went to it because my mom said, hey, I was in college at the time. I was 19, right? My mom said, hey, come to church with me. I'll take you out for food. And I was like, heck yeah, I'm done with ramen. I'm going to go get some real food. So I went to church with her. But this church was vastly different than any church I'd ever been to before in my life. And uh, about on my second or third time there, um, I, I know this has become passe in our culture anymore, but I actually responded to an altar call where they were praying for people. Um, and it was there where I met Jesus in a life-changing experiential way that absolutely revolutionized my life. Uh, I, it went from the red letters and the black letters on a page to actually, uh, actually being a person. Um, I met Christ and, uh, and it was there that I realized Christianity is not just a religion. There's actually truth to it. Um, and so that led me on not only a lifelong investigation of this truth that I had taken for granted, um, most of my young life and now venturing into my adult life, but it also led me on a pathway of ministry. So for the past 18 years, I've, uh, done schooling, I've traveled the world, and I've preached in a myriad of different venues all over the world. So I've preached in Canada, I've preached in Africa, I've preached all over Latin America, um, and done as much as I possibly could in the realm of traditional Christian ministry. So as a pastor, probably wore the hat of every single pastor, including the, the hat of a church planter most recently. I started a uh, ARC church in uh, 2019, and then 2020 hit, and stuff went all over the place when it hit the fan. Um, but really, it was such a really awesome thing for me, because now it, it, it what happened in 2020 served as a catalyst to kind of move me towards kind of a different vein of ministry, but ministry all the same. So the church that I started from scratch, I handed over to a friend and I, I got very burdened with the culture, man. I started to realize that the one thing Christians bring with them to church with them every single Sunday and typically leave with them is the culture because they go back into it. Um, and if we don't start reaching the culture, we're going to we're going to lose people's minds and we're going to lose the way they think. And slowly but surely, that's already happening because many, many Christians now who are professing Christians have very, very vastly unbiblical divergent viewpoints on, on what Christianity even is anymore. Um, and I, and I relate it all back to the fact that Christianity has for far too long relegated itself to the realm of the four walls of the church. And perhaps, um, and this is probably a much bigger conversation, perhaps, uh, I think retreated to a realm where uh, they only preach about positive mental attitude, they preach inspirational messages, but they no longer on the cusp of reaching the culture in a, in a dynamic way because they think that Christianity should be relegated just to that position. And I uh, couldn't disagree more. I started believing more and more and more that the glory of God reaches all the way to the heaven, which means there's no place where the glory of God shouldn't be felt. It should be felt in the political sphere. It should be felt in the, uh, in the entertainment sphere. It should be felt certainly, obviously, in the church, but it should be felt in its about every single cultural aspect that you can possibly think of. And it used to be that way in the church. Uh, and we say we have a heart for that. But then when it comes to talking about politics, Christians act like, uh, well, the men anyway, act like they just stepped into cold water and they shrivel up and they don't talk about things uh, assertively from a biblical standpoint because they are so that really the leftist tactic of uh, of 
saying that anybody that disagrees with you is a bigot or hateful has been so uh, provocative for people. And we've just absolutely fallen for that nonsense uh, hook, line and sinker. And so all of that wrapped into a ball. I just got really burdened by that, man. And I think it became evident. I think 2020 was the wind that shook the trees and um, and, it, and it showed what fruit was really on the tree. Um, and it started to reveal to me that Christian pastors need to step to the plate. They need to be honest. They need to not echo the culture. We, not, we are not just a cultural institution. We are a biblical and eternal institution that uh, that deserves and needs to give answers at a time where it's so incredibly crucial. So I broadened out my pulpit after kind of giving it, giving it to a friend and then started this podcast just because I wanted to provide a coherent and consistent worldview. And there's probably more unpacking there too, but, but just those two things, just a, a, a coherent one that's rational, that makes sense, and uh, consistent with scripture worldview about as many things as you possibly uh, can engage in so that we can truly understand Christianity in the world. What does it look like? And, and essentially, I'd call it cultural apologetics is what I'm doing. It's fantastic, man. You, you hit on, um, you hit on a lot of gold, but one of the things you just mentioned is like a hot button word for me. And, and my listeners know this, the idea of worldview. Yeah. And I'm fully convinced that not many people have a coherent, consistent worldview. And it's actually not their fault. We weren't taught to pursue a consistent, coherent worldview. Yeah. One that's not contradictory in nature. Um, but one that's actually consistent through and through where you understand the why behind the what. I mean, that just was not taught, at least it was not taught to my generation. Yeah, um, it's not even, it wasn't even a semblance of a thought in grade school. And I, I'd love to hear from you, Reed, from your exposure to sort of American Christianity. By the way, I didn't know that you had this sort of global perspective as well from your time yeah. in other countries, which I think is neat. And I want to ask about that in a second, but from your perspective, do many of the leaders in the American church today um, even have a worldview like that's consistent <laughs> and coherent that's really yeah. thought through? Um, and then if they, if they, if they don't, why? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. So I want to be really careful here because I want to always try to be charitable, but um, I, I cannot, I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but I'm going to say by and large, let me put it to you this way. The people who, who my wife's going to love this one. The people who say that they represent Christianity when they're selling books and when they're on Instagram and social media, but then say they don't represent Christianity when they're called on the things and the messaging that they're saying. Um, the, the, the big preachers, the celebrity pastors, the pastors who have the reach to really represent Christianity, um, those guys are not espousing by and large, I think I can say this safely, are not espousing what it looks like to have a truly Christian worldview. And then we have to ask ourselves, if what I'm saying is correct, why? Why aren't they espousing a truly coherent and consistent Christian worldview across the board on abortion, on uh, maybe even let's get relevant in terms of the culture, Black Lives Matter, racial conversations, uh, COVID lockdowns, anything that's going on in our nation? Why do we so quickly retreat to, oh, don't talk about that stuff or that stuff's divisive and we don't get political at our church? And it's like, well, if you were in the 1860s and you didn't get political, then shame on you. 
because uh, because slavery is something that Christians need to be vocal about and should have been vocal about. And we haven't always done that well. And it's so funny to me that the progressives would agree with that 100%. And then when it talks about actually talking about biblical ideas, uh, they, they want to shy away from that completely and entirely. So, so I think it's fair to say that that we don't, um, by and large, when it comes to the people who represent Christianity. And, and, and I think the reason for that is I think and this is my personal belief here. So I'm going to say that I can't prove this, but I'm going to say that my personal belief is, is that fear is a very, very compelling, um, compelling emotion. And I think the vast majority of people who work so very hard to build their church up to become this cultural entity, um, that, uh, that the one thing that they don't want to do once they've built that up is lose it. And they know that they will lose it. But I, I just keep on coming back to a Jesus who was drawing crowds not because he compromised the truth, but because he was so powerful, people couldn't deny the truth. And this is the difference that we get today. We say, oh, Jesus was popular. Jesus had huge followings. Well, Jesus also, uh, by the time that he was crucified, had 11 people that were following him. And every single one of those people left him because he was saying such controversial stuff that people didn't want to stick around him. Um, but yet people did stick around him too, because he was so powerful and so amazing that they couldn't resist going away. And so the truth is we've just re I, I think this is one of my dogs in the fight is I think we've replaced popularity with power is that we think power nowadays is is the cultural like popularity that we can claim on social media or, or um, how many books we can sell in the bookstore and we say well we're reaching people but the truth is that that Jesus was compelling and that's why he was popular um, it wasn't because he compromised the truth it wasn't because he had to uh, slip it under the rug or anything like that so I, I mean I could go on and on and pro there's probably more reasons for that but I'll so, and, and let me just add one other thing. So I think it's fear of losing what you've built. But then I also think that it's, um, is that we don't really understand and we don't have the confidence to stand up for a Christian worldview. Because for so long, we've treated Christianity as this personal matter that you just have between you and God. And we're told that by the culture, but then we have as Christians just said, okay, uh, we'll just have this personal relationship with God and we won't share it publicly. And, and as a result of that, uh, whether that's agreed on or not, I think the one thing that is agreed upon is that, uh, is that we don't have the confidence to talk about abortion to a pro-choicer. And we don't have the confidence to talk to a Black Lives Matter activist about why we as Christians think that Marxism is an absolutely horrible idea. Uh, we don't know history. We've just been taught to believe and go about your life. And, and I guess that's really my passion with Indie Thinker, man, is that I wanna try to talk about as many things as possible to the point where even some of my Christian friends are thinking to themselves, why is this guy talking about, like this week I'm gonna be talking about why the Taliban has been banned from social media, but not Donald Trump. It has nothing to do with the fact that I, that I voted for Donald Trump has to do with the fact that I believe that if we live in a world where our biases relegate what we do as a society, we're headed for trouble. And I think Christians should have a dog in that fight and that we need to be the people who are vocal about standing for truth. Um, but we just don't have the confidence to do it. And I don't think, and I think as a result, we haven't stood for truth. Yeah, dude, I couldn't agree more. I, I wonder, Reed, you mentioned even right there, that's a good example of the fact that like our former president of the United States is not allowed to have a Twitter account. Yeah. Like people who ritually rape um, women 
kill people that they deem infidels. Uh, these people are allowed to maintain a presence. And this, you know, this goes back even three and a half years. I remember when um, Alex Jones, which say what you want about Alex Jones, but he was kind of the first any sort of mainstream guy to actually be pulled from social media. Yeah. And I remember having vivid conversations with people saying like, this is a very slippery slope because if you think it's going to end with just the people that are easy for you to write off as crazy, like this will not end here. This will actually escalate to the highest upper echelons of power. If they disagree with the mainstream establishment, now you're literally seeing yeah. that the Ayatollah of Iran gets to brag about killing Jews and Jack well, well keep keep going because I want you to, to to finish that bit but I mean you think about the um the ACLU who used to say I disagree with what you're saying but I'll fight for your right to say it yep. and now our society has totally changed like if you don't say what we think you should say well then we're going to censor you we're going to ban you we're going to do all that and that's not good for anybody no and I and I even warn warn friends of mine on the left and I do have friends of mine on the left that we get into banter about this often and I say be careful what you wish for, because though yeah. the shoe may fit you and you like how it fits when you're the one getting to wear it, like, remember that the shoe can be on another foot. And what happens when that arbiter of truth uh, seeks to you weaponize that authoritarianism against your values? Yeah. And so, you know, it, it really is something I appreciate about sort of the conservative worldview is that we we still have adopted that classical liberalism that says, I will fight to the death for your right to say something, even if I disagree with it, which I love. But that's that's obviously one example that you just mentioned of sort of the, the moral compass um, dissipating from society because of a lack of a coherent, consistent worldview. What are some of the other symptoms? What are some of the other things both in the church read and also external from the church and culture that you think are a direct result of the fact that the church has really abdicated its role over the past 30, 40 years? Yeah. <laughs> Boy, I hope this doesn't sound esoteric, but the first thing, I just have to be honest, the first thing that comes to mind, and I did mention this, but I want to drill down a little bit further, is um, is virtue. So, And morality and virtue are so alike, but here's maybe how they're a little bit different. But one of the virtues that we have quit extolling, uh, which we just mentioned the ACLU has quit extolling, is truth. Um, I believe on our watch, what's I, I've thought about this a lot. I think what has really happened is we have allowed, Christians have allowed on their watch, uh, the, the ideology, the ideology of postmodernism to proliferate throughout the culture. Now, we did so because we felt like there may be some overlap and, you know, Christians have probably been so out of touch culturally that we just need to move with the times. And I found myself at a, yeah, you know, now people are going to really know I'm a nut at a Pentecostal university being taught by Marxist professors uh, that, uh, that postmodernism was, um, was the worldview that you needed to view Christianity through. Um, and, and so I think ultimately we are now seeing, I guess I would say the grandchildren of postmodernism hit the streets and now in charge of our institutions in America. And now we find ourselves saying the most ridiculous things and finding that people like Bill Maher make sense to somebody like me. Who and would I have listen, thought, man? Yeah, I know it's crazy, right? And, and then uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this guy, but I'll turn your viewers on to him and you if, you if you're not. But I listen to a guy named Gad Sad all the time. Gad is a brilliant man. He is not a Christian. 
but he he's a uh, very sardonic and very sarcastic. But it, he's an academician, and uh, and he's decrying constantly the leftist notions that are taking over the academy. And and so this is where we're at. I think it by and large as a result of this postmodernism that uh, has inundated our cultural worldview. And it doesn't matter even if you understand the least bit about postmodernism, this is the power of culture, is that it is seeped into the soil and it is affecting everything that grows in it. And essentially what it has done, it is it, it has taken a category away from us that Christians should not have allowed to be taken from them. And I almost said it in this when I said when Christians have Christian pastors have retreated to a position. Well, since I can't prove to you that the Bible is true, what I'm going to just tell you is I'm going to try to be inspirational to you. And then the self-evidence of that inspiration as it impacts your life will make you realize that maybe Christianity is true instead of defending the truth of scripture, defending Christianity as a worldview, defending the, the existence of God and the existence of an incarnate Christ and why it's important that Jesus died on the cross for us. You mean, I mean, you can say this, Michael, I would love to like, just to hear what you think. Uh, the vast majority of Christians have have no idea why Jesus went to the cross. They just believe that his blood sets them free or atones for their sins, however they want to put it, but they do not know why. They cannot effectively communicate. And all of that, I think, goes back to the reality that that truth is no longer important to us as a society. When our media personalities repeatedly, and they don't blush when they say it, when when they repeatedly say the term, my truth, and 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 people accept that, as a, an actual thing anymore. You can tell postmodernism has absolutely assassinated truth. And there's a verse in Isaiah that says this, that when truth has fallen in the street, essentially what is evil will be called good and what is good will be called evil. Tell me that's not the world we live in. I wish I could tell you that uh, the world was different than that description, but that's uh, exactly where we found ourselves. I remember, Reed, I... Um, you mentioned earlier that you had some some cool life change starting at 19. When I was 19, I had a conversation with a kid who was about 16, and this guy was questioning the faith. He was he was a very um, intellectual person who was on the pursuit of truth genuinely. It wasn't from a cynical position. He actually wanted to understand if I'm going to give my life to this, I better understand why I'm going to do that. And yeah. so he literally sat me down and for literally three hours. Um, went over and over with the why question. So you say Jesus rose from the dead. Why? Yeah. You said that you have proof of the resurrection. What proof? Uh, you, you say that he was the fulfillment of the law. Why? Like, why, did, why was there a need for fulfillment of law? Asked all these questions, and it wasn't because he was trying to be, again, cynical or rude. It was because he was trying to honestly get to the root. And what it caused yeah. me to do is have this sort of aha eye-opening moment of saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay in my confidence related to answering these questions, but man, I have so much to learn. Yeah. And I, I honestly, in that moment, felt such a, a desperation and a longing for a church that would spend time helping answering those, those why questions. And I, 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 it's very sad to me today that there are, that are I, I would make this claim, um, and this is probably more from anecdotal experience, but that there is a vast chunk of the American church today that doesn't understand how we prove the resurrection, that doesn't understand the eyewitness accounts, that doesn't yeah. understand what happened shortly after the burial, that doesn't understand, like you're saying, why Jesus went to the cross in the first place. And if we're detached from those truths, how are we supposed to defend them? 
And I think this is where, you know, obviously we're both. By the, by the way, let me throw this in here. Not only defend yeah. them, but also appreciate them for yourself. Amen. Part of what I do is I want to equip people to speak to other people, certainly on an apologetic basis, but I'm pretty convinced that apologetics is probably like a, a 30, 70 proposition that it's 70% for you and 30% for the other person that you will fall more deeply in love with Jesus and more deeply in love with the scripture and truly appreciate it and understand your faith so deeply that it becomes so much richer. If you will take the time to investigate these claims and not just uh, accept them at face value. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I I've, I've learned that in my own walk. That's been the sweetest thing for me. I think sometimes we can see theology as dry. And, and I always try to point people to the fact that theology is really just an understanding of the nature of God. And if you've got your heart pointed in the right, right direction as you're seeking truth, you're only going to learn more about who instilled truth, who is truth. And then yeah. that should lead you to a deep love and admiration and understanding of your creator that leaves, of course, um, more unanswered questions that you want to continue diving into, which is the beauty of this is like, it's a never ending pursuit of getting to learn more and more about the vast mysteries of God. But if I'm unwilling to even take the first step because it doesn't feel fluffy enough for me, like I miss out on everything that God has in store yeah. for me. I think that's a real bummer that we've seen today in the American church. Right. Um, and not to mention too, that I think that this is where the crossover comes into because some of your audience I'm sure is not Christians and Absolutely. certainly some of my audience isn't isn't either um and so this is a crossover so this is why I say this is a mutually beneficial thing um when for the church has known for a long time that we are shifting into a postmodern or sorry a post-christian culture um and we've talked a lot about that here and there and and we, we've come to this realization it's post-christian culture all of that stuff I want Anybody in your audience, anybody in my audience to really ask sincerely ask themselves the question is part of what we're experiencing with some of the insanity, the fact that you can't even suggest that a man does not have a menstrual cycle. Um, you know, you can't even suggest very logical, rationally based claims, uh, it seems, uh, today without a lot of pushback and a lot of rhetoric back coming back your way. Is that as a result of the fact that Christianity has Christianity has lost prominence in the culture? So I'm going to make an audacious claim and just say, for the person who is not a Christian, if you're intellectually honest, I think you would have to come to the conclusion that Christianity is good. It's good for you. It's good for the culture. It's good for everybody when it's practiced according to its dictates, right? This is something that Douglas Murray talks about a lot, which is, I don't know if you know him either, but he's a fantastic guy. He's an atheist and he's a homosexual. And he's very outspoken on the reality that when Christianity is moving away from the West as it is, and he's, he's from England, and so he sees this, um, it, that void is not going to remain vacant. Something is going to fill it. And now I would just encourage everybody who's intellectually honest to ask yourself, we're starting to see what's filling the void in America. Do you really like it? Is it really what's better for us all for this kind of stuff to fill the void? Some people are going to say yes, but I think, again, now, this is not a, a, an attack or uh, an accusation, but I think if you're intellectually honest, you you are going to come to the same conclusion uh, that that we have as Christians for years and years and years. Truth matters, and it ultimately leads you to, uh, I would say, to the beauty of of Christian truth. Yeah, yeah. Not not all of my listeners are believers, and and I love that that we get to engage um, across the spectrum here. But one thing I say often is that I'm unapologetic about the fact that. I'm a conservative and the reason I am is because those values, I believe, speak to the one who created the values. The, yep. I think one of the, the real 
sad aspects of what's going on currently in culture. And by the way, I know we're starting on some addressing problems. I'll get to some of the reasons I'm hopeful and I want to hear from you as well in a minute. Sure. But I think that one of the, the more disappointing aspects of where we're currently at in our cultural discourse um, is that there is this real redefining going on where because the California is a great example. I live in a state that has done everything it possibly can to rid God of the public conversation and replace it, not with nothing, but replace it with actually a progressive religion, the religion of secularism. And it's hard to make an argument that California is better because of it in literally yeah. any degree, education, healthcare, even the way, you know, even the, the progressive tenants like environmentalism, California has not become a better um, state on the world stage. San Francisco is dirtier because of the secularist utopia that's been instilled there. And my big point for people is that in the redefining, it's not only a redefining of societal structure, it's also redefining even down to the minute of the terms, justice, righteousness, mm -hmm. love. And yep. the biggest thing that the church can do to thwart the um, the real attacks on sort of the, the West's embrace of Christianity over the past few, um, few decades, and now it's dwindling away. The best thing the church can do to counteract that is by reclaiming the terms that God has defined. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to let the culture define love. We're going to let God define love. We're not going to let the culture define righteousness. God is going, and his scriptures are going to define righteousness, and that's what we're going to live by. And I think the positive that I, I would even share with you from, from California, Reed, is that a lot of people here are starting to wake up and say like, look, I, I don't know about all this and the Christianity piece. And I'm, I'm trying to figure that out, but I know I do not want this. Like what's yep. happened here in this total embrace of progressivism. Jack Murphy is a good example. I don't think he's a California native, but he's a great thinker too, for people to look up. He's been very public on Twitter recently, hundreds of thousands of followers. He's been very public about his pursuit of truth in the scriptures. He's, mm. he's been a long held atheist believer, um, really uh, very uninterested in general in any sort of spiritual pursuit. And now all of a sudden he's reading the scriptures and he's going on this very public journey because he's like, look, I've seen what the world produces yeah. and I'm not for it. So let's see what these Christians are talking about here of the kingdom that God describes and defines. And we'll see what that's all about. So I think that's pretty cool. And I love that there are, there are speakers, pastors, people like you that are willing to engage and help bridge that gap of, Hey, you, you know, you don't want what the world is producing. Let me help you dis, to, um, discover what God has prescribed for society and the freedom that that will actually bring to your life. Yeah. Reed, I'd love to know, um, what are some political ramifications? You're, you're not just a, a talented thinker in the, um, in the, Christian space or the even cultural space, but I know you have a, a, a bit of a political mind as well. And you see these as all connected. You mentioned that early on. Yep. What are some of the political ramifications you think from the church sort of stepping out of the arena over the past few decades? Yeah. Um, I think this happened back in the eighties, late seventies that, uh, the moral majority came to the fore with people like Jerry Falwell and those guys. And, uh, and growing up in the eighties and the nineties, uh, we quickly in the nineties ran away from that. Um, and so I, I, I think I, and then nowadays you got millennial pastors, right. Who, uh, just absolutely despise any sense of the moral majority. And, um, and, 
and they say things like this, and I'm going to agree with it to an extent. You can't legislate righteousness. Okay. So, uh, and, and, and I think there's value to that because the obvious point is yes, you, you cannot, but I think there's a middle ground there. And this is not to just cower out and take a uh, centrist position, but I do believe that, um, that so much of what we're seeing now is a rebellion against things we've seen in the past. Like you think about pastors now, especially in the church planning world where I come from, we're get, it, it, most people won't tell you this, but the reality is, is very many of these guys, they're going to tell you they're planting a church because they love the local church because they love Jesus. But a lot of them, the dirty little secret is, is that they grew up in a church that they didn't like very much. And they want to do something about that. Or they grew up in a church that they disagreed with, or they feel like by and large, there's too many churches who are too traditionalistic or maybe too fundamentalistic or whatever. Um, and, and so I, I guess the point is, is that ultimately, politically speaking, we've disengaged and we've, we've run away from that. And I do believe that, again, we're starting to see some of the moral and some of the, uh, the less truth-based claims that are coming out in our society today as a result of retreating from the political square. Now, I, I'll be the first to admit, I don't want to tell anybody to to uh, who to vote for if i lived in california i would love to tell you to vote for larry elder in the upcoming recall <laughs> but um, but i don't want to tell you to vote for i want you to use your conscience and i want you to use um your uh i want you to use your bible and i want you to think clearly about who you should vote for i just think when you do that you're going to come up to some general conclusions that need to be supported by the church so i would say um yeah, you know, Tim Keller and John Piper got a lot of heat for saying um, uh, something similar, but I'm going to say it with a little bit of nuance and say, don't just vote with your conscience, vote with your Bible and your conscience and vote according to the truth. And when you realize that that's ultimately going to send you further and further to the right, be honest about it. Don't sit there and try to just say, well, we got to reach Democrats too. Yes, you do. But you really just have an obligation to the truth. That's your obligation is to the truth. And if it leads you further and further to the conservative movement, which I think it does, um, then just be honest about that. Be unapologetically pro-life and uh, be unapologetically um, racially reconciliationist through the cross and through refusing to view people based upon their racially essentialistic characteristics, which by the way, is racist, refuse to do it that way, refuse to do it based upon the conduct of people's character. So I don't know if that answers your question because I find myself verging back into the church a whole lot, but, it, but essentially I think the evacuation from the political realm within the milieu of the church has allowed for a lot of the things that we're talking about now, and then has seen the outgrowth of pastors who pretend to be apolitical, but they're, but they're really not. Yeah, or willing to be political on some issues that are a little more comfortable, but yeah. unwilling on others that require some tough conversations. I mean, I've seen that mm -hmm. a lot. All these pastors that for a long time have claimed to be apolitical when George Floyd happened, all of a sudden felt very comfortable giving plenty of policy prescriptions yeah. uh, for what to do with the police force and for what to do with how we structure our justice system. And what I noticed is that unfortunately in a lot of those conversations, it was as if they had just awakened to politics and- yeah. If you have someone who just started riding a bike and is now teaching the Tour de France people how to strategize their race, like you're just not going to be able to be effective. And so I saw a lot of pastors that had literally never looked at a, um, exploring a consistent political theory, all of a sudden give plenty of policy prescriptions about issues that they really knew nothing about. Um, yeah. 
And that's, that's part of my generation, you know, I mean, I'm a millennial. I think you're probably a millennial too. Yep. Um, you know, we, we have a bad habit of reading the headline and assuming that we know everything or seeing an infographic on Instagram and believing <laughs> that we know the whole picture. And I tell people often, don't feel ashamed and saying, you know what, I actually don't know the whole ins and outs of this, but I'm going to yeah, take- I hope that, I hope this sounds charitable, man, but I'm writing a chapter in a book that hopefully will come out. I have to finish it for this to be a reality, but I'm writing a book called The Softening of the American Christian. And in uh, one of the early chapters, I <laughs> And uh, this is going to give you a flavor. Again, I'm saying I'm trying to be charitable, but I'm also being honest too. And I like being a little bit sardonic. So in one of the chapters, it's called Half Wits and Pulpits. Um, and we realized in 2020, <laughs> we, we realized in 2020 that a lot of our pastors don't have the, op, the ability, the intellectual ability to nuance effectively these ideas. They have the ability to repeat the culture and nod, but they don't have the ability to really nuance these ideas. And I think that's kind of what you're alluding to. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor and I'm compassionate to these kind of things, but I've also studied deeply, got a master's degree in 2012 um, and am steeped in philosophy and steeped in theology and all that stuff. And I've found it only good and beneficial to my life um, and to my faith. Um, so I realize I have been equipped. And so I'm not going to rag on these guys for not being equipped. But I wish that they would find the necessity not to come up with the most ridiculous positions on these issues. And people who are Bible defenders who I love deeply, and I'm going to use names here not to disparage, but just so people understand. Uh, people like Matt Chandler and David Platt and these guys who I love and who have defended scripture, have defended life um, and all these things. But then when it comes to these issues are not really capable of nuancing effectively um, the, uh, the biblical perspective on these ideas um, and, and find themselves just saying ridiculous stuff in some cases. And, um, and so they're just not equipped to do it. And I wish that they would, um, that they wouldn't have fallen for the cultural pressure to try to be popular in this instance and would have relied upon other people who are, who are great Christian minds to give effective answers to some of these things. I uh, realized I was muted there. Reed, what do we do? What, what in your mind is the, you know, uh, though we are entering a, a post-Christian space, like you mentioned in the United States and, and sort of the, the once Christian West, I, I would love to know from you with this massive group that still does exist of people that would say, I pursue truth. I love God. I, I believe in his definitions of justice, love, truth, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what do we do? What's the, the, we just entered this new decade. We're in 2021. What is the uh, prescription for you as far as what the American church can do to kind of recapture truth, recapture um, even semblances of orthodoxy, like just objective morality mm -hmm. where we're tethered yeah. to something. Where do we go? What do we do? Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of things. Um, but I'll just say that these are my prescriptions. These are the things I'm writing in the book. I think one of them is, is we need to reclaim a certain liturgy, which means I think we need to reclaim um, certain aspects of church that are consistent um, with, with our church, that, don't, that are not just based in the modern milieu of Christianity, but are based in historic Christianity. So I won't go any deeper than that, other than suffice to say, find a good church. That's, that's kind of one of the things I would encourage you to do is to find a good church. How do you know a good church? Um, that's probably too much to talk about, but at least find a pastor who is unafraid 
to be biblically consistent. Um, the other thing I would say is you can't all be eloquent, but you can support other people who are in the spaces that you feel like are important. So for me and for you and for other Christians who are in this podcasting space, if you believe in those voices, support those people. I just know this, man. The one thing that Christians have been really good at are kind of just like, I don't know. And then they shrug their shoulders and they walk away. And that's how you get, um, I'm going to sound so cliche here, but I'm just giving you an example. That's how you get Bible taken out of scares, schools, prayer taken out of schools, which you really can't do. I mean, let's face it, bring your Bible to school. Who cares what anybody says? Come at me, bro. Uh, and pray in school um, and share your views openly and honestly with people. Give your valedictorian address in Jesus name. And, and let that be the, uh, the thing that you hang your hat on because you were smart enough to be able to be the valedictorian and now you can say what you want to say. Uh, other people are certainly going to take that and we've seen it. Uh, other people are going to take that opportunity to say all sorts of ridiculous stuff. So uh, you might as well stand up for truth. Um, I just know we can't do nothing. So I think the other thing is, so find a good church, support the voices that matter in this generation. And I'm going to say that unapologetically because I really find that Christians are good at tearing each other apart, but they're not good at supporting each other and helping other people build platforms that can make a difference. Um, uh, and so the third thing I, I would say is get informed personally. I think another one of that shrug or shoulder and walk away thing is that we just say, well, I don't know. I don't know what to think about this thing. So what that inevitably makes us do, and I'm going to be right left to be fair here, is it makes you adopt a position on the right and it makes you adopt a position on the left without thinking clearly about what the Bible actually says about things or even what is logically consistent and coherent um, in terms of reason. Um, so get informed. You say, well, I don't know anything about pro-life. Well, stop that. Get informed about it. Go, go follow uh, Seth Gruber and get on his unaborted podcast and listen to it as much as you possibly can. I know you can't listen to everybody and I know you can't know everything, but try to learn something new each day that helps you become a cultural advocate for, um, for things that matter to Christians. Uh, and so there's a million different things that I could try to encourage people to, but the other, the fourth thing I would guess I would say is, can we reclaim a dirty word, Mike? And can we, um, and can we reclaim the word activist? Um, I'm in. and can we take that away from, from the left, the illogical, irrational, blue haired, yelling in people's faces, activists, and can we be Christian activists and do it from a righteous perspective? Activism is a good thing. If you're following scripture, you should be an activist, but you should be an activist about the right things. Yeah, it's fantastic, dude. I, I uh, actually have a fun story. A friend of mine recently, um, their son is probably in second grade and brought a Bible to school one day at a public school here in California. And rather than the teacher just kind of shutting it down right away, it turns out the teacher was Christian and a bunch of the kids classmates started asking him like, what's that? What's this book? And he would always carry it. Well, it turns out that basically the rest of the class asked for Bibles too. Wow. So they went through this process of making sure the parents were cool that all this stuff and ended up, this kid ended up giving Bibles to like his entire class in California. And it's just because he said, I don't really care what the school says. Like, I like my Bible. I'm going to carry it to school. And from there, he just allowed that to be a walking witness. And it turns out that everyone around him saw it as infectious and wanted it too. Mm -hmm. And so I love that because I, I think that we often in the church sometimes get stuck in a, well, it's just the way it is. And it's like, well, it doesn't have to be. And I think in 2020, a lot was revealed. And I saw, you know, you even to your first point of find a different church. 
you know, I, I posted something on Instagram the other day. There was a church that was talking about how um, now that it's FDA approved the Pfizer vaccine, they're going to require vaccinations for all congregants 12 Horrible. and up to enter the church. I'm like, you got to find a new church. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. there's a famous church out here in Southern California that said Vask and Max and masks and put it in this big newsletter and sent it out to everyone and thousands of congregants and and yeah, and it's so funny too because for so long we've said don't you know you'll lose your five hundred one c three status. Don't advocate for a political position. But now we find ourselves taking the stupidest political positions on the planet. It's like right when we finally advocate for one, <laughs> we, yeah. we advocate for forced vaccination. I mean, it's wild. But um, yeah, I so I, I think those are great prescriptions, and I think that there are things that all of us can tangibly do. Um, why are you hopeful, Reed? Why yeah. are you Why are you hopeful? I I am. I, I maybe shouldn't assume that you're hopeful, but you sound like a hopeful guy. I don't think you'd be doing this unless you were. Yeah. Um, so what what gets you hopeful as you look to our cultural discourse over the next decade? Yeah, I would just say to um, just to kind of further from the to justify the the prior part of this conversation, not that we need to, but because I think people hear the heart behind it. But uh, there's there's nothing wrong with pointing out realities and even disappointments um, about what's going on, because the reality is the opposite of that is to be naive. And there's nothing virtuous about being naive. So I think in order to be an optimist, you need to be honest about the things that are not correct so that you can fix them. Uh, to do anything opposite is just to ignore it entirely. And there's nothing valuable about that whatsoever. And again, I think for far too long, perhaps I've done it in the past, and maybe even for the first time, I'm starting to do something about it now with this podcast. But, um, but I am very hopeful. I believe, and I've, I've talked with a multitude of different Christians and different people on our podcast, on my podcast, to just say this, that I think this is one of the greatest times for Christians on the planet. And here's why, because we have Christian people in the West, especially in America, have been benefactors for, for a very long time of Christianization whether they're an atheist, an agnostic, a Buddhist, a Muslim, or anything else, they, whether they like it or not, Christianity has such a, made in it's such an indelible impression upon this nation that we have enjoyed its benefits while castigated the Savior and castigated the people who follow him. Uh, Christianity is stupid, but uh, I'm a good person. Well, why are you a good person? Well, probably because you grew up in a moral uh, uh kind of worldview and a moral mindset that was handed down to you by your forefathers. You don't want to give it credit, but that's the reality. And now as we start to move away from that, we're going to, we're going to experience like wildfire, man, like wildfire in California. We are going to experience shifting sand under our feet and people are going to start being like, whoa, I need something that's stable. I need something that's permanent. I need something that transcends the, the freaking news cycle. We need something real. And I think really, ultimately, this is one of the greatest opportunities for revival. Um, and for those who don't understand what I mean by that, but I just mean a resurgence of fact-based, intellectual, heartfelt religion that, that leads people further and further and closer to Christ. Um, so I really believe people are going to start grabbing for something permanent. And when they do so, they're going to ultimately realize that can only be finding found in God. And then once they make the jump from atheist to agnostic, I, if they're intellectually honest, I, I believe that they will make the jump from agnostic to Christian pretty quickly because they're going to find the beauty of Christ. They're going to find the beauty of his words and the, the truth of scripture, the historicity of Christianity, and they're going to be overwhelmed by it. Um, I believe this could happen to Sam Harris if he actually knew anything about religion, but he talks about it a lot, but knows nothing about it. Um, uh, 
but and I appreciate his voice in this generation too for many things that he says. It's just that he has no idea what he's talking about when he talks about religion. So yeah, man, I'm hopeful, man. I think that this is one of the greatest times for us because people are searching for 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 they don't know it's truth, but they're searching for truth because truth is being pulled out from under them, and they're like, whoa, this doesn't make sense, and and the world isn't what it used to be, and and I want uh, and this is something that I think a lot of people can relate to. I want a better world for my kids. Yeah. What's going to make that? Oh, yeah. Because that's where I've really spent a lot of my time, dude. And I would be honest, I would say, first of all, Jesus. Um, and then I would say, second of all, my kids, I believe I have an obligation to leave this world better off than I found it for the sake of my kids. And so I want my voice to hopefully make an impact so that that can happen. If you read had 30 seconds with three groups of people, the first group of people are parents. The second group of people are progressive Christians. Um, mm -hmm. If you're just listening to this, I'm using air quotes around progressive Christians because I do believe that that's, a, that's, that's not something you can actually be. I think that's an oxymoron. But the third group is people that get it. They hear this and they're like, you're speaking my language, I'm fired up. First to the parents, because I this is big and this has been my heart cry over the past year is like, I love seeing these mama bears and papa bears wake up and say exactly what you just said, which is, the future is at stake for your children. What's what's a 30 second encouragement you would give to the parents in the West? Um, we have a lot of listeners, not just from the United States, but from other countries in the West as well. And I know that this problem is facing them as well. Like, what would you say to encourage the parents that are trying to instill truth, raise up children the way they should go, say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord? Yeah. What do you say? Yeah, the truth, the truth still matters and it is desperately needed more so than ever before. And kind of as in a secular example, I would say, look at what is happening in the school board. Look at what is happening in the school board across America with critical race theory. Parents are actually finally standing up for something and they're making a difference. This is still the greatest nation on the planet. I don't care who you are. And that's not just exalting, um, you know, uh, America from a cultural bias or uh, even a, a, a white Christian cisgendered male lens. It's, it's the reality of who we are as a nation. We can make a difference. And parents are doing it all over the place. So parents, you can make a difference too. Don't just accept what's happening. Make a difference. I love it. Okay. Phenomenal. Parents, be blessed. Progressive Christians. Those that would say, <laughs> I honestly don't know what they would say. Other than to say that I disagree with a lot of this. This has uh, pricked my um, either my heart or my ears. This is uncomfortable to listen to. They have bought into the postmodernist idea of, of different cynical theories, as I like how James Lindsay puts it. Instead mm -hmm. of critical theories, he calls them cynical theories. Um, what do you tell them? What's your encouragement? And by the way, I have been blessed to know that there are more than a few that have actually, um, for whatever reason, wanted to listen to the show and have mm. listened fairly consistently, which I will be eternally grateful for. I'm blown away by that. Absolutely. It, it takes Absolutely. a lot of ability to listen to someone who you disagree with. So I'm thankful. But what would you say? Yeah, I would say I, I, a question, because obviously these people um, have my heart and a lot of them truly have I don't want to assume too much, but I think a lot of them have been hurt. So I would ask this, I would ask, is your progressive Christian belief based upon a reaction or based upon investigation of the truth? Because so many of these people 
have an adverse reaction because they've been indoctrinated by the culture towards the homosexual movement or the LGBTQIA+, and they can't fathom possibly castigating the friend who they love, or let's be honest, the partner who they love, and just separating their sexual identity from from their Christian identity. And so they've reacted to that and, and, you know, brought them together and compiled those two things together. But I I think that that's a recipe with all charity and benevolence, that's a recipe for disaster because all reactionary tendencies are emotion-based and not based on, in fact. And there's a guy who some of you progressive Christians probably don't like, but facts don't care about your feelings. So, (laughs) um, but it's true. Uh, And so I understand the reaction and I love you and I care about why you have the reaction, but let's separate ourselves from the reaction and let's care about the truth more than we care about how it feels. Yeah, man, that's great. Words of wisdom. Okay, final one. The people like me, young probably want to be activists, need to maybe know how. A lot's been exposed in 2020. We know now that there is a real um, cost to standing up, but there's also a lot of fruit in standing up and we want to. What do you say? How do you encourage us? How do you mobilize the troops? I'm going to tell you like Colin Kaepernick did, uh, just do it. Um, (laughs) So um, No, in all seriousness, I, 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 I I don't know other than to kind of reiterate something I already said is do something get informed and support the other people who are doing things. You can't do everything. You can't know everything, but you can support the other people who are doing it. And I'm just going to tell you as a guy who started out and just been doing this for six months, like posts, share posts, That's comment on posts. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't hurt you to give a monthly gift of about $5 a month or something like that to say, I support you. I'm behind your voice. I appreciate what you're doing. Uh, I'm saying that for your sake, um, as much as I'm saying it for my sake, is that we have to we have to get better at supporting one another. Otherwise, I think that we're not we're going to fail for the uh, for the constant reinvention of the wheel. Yeah. Um, and, and so we need to we need to join together. We need to celebrate what each other is doing. And and in so doing, we're better together, man. I think we can make a difference. Yeah, I love it. I agree. I even like what you said learning one thing a day. You don't have to become an expert in um, every facet of political theory overnight, but you can learn one thing today. What's one yeah. thing you can learn about the pro-life movement? What's one thing you can learn about immigration? Yeah, and, just quit using ignorance as an excuse. And I know yeah, that's probably amen. a little straightforward and blunt, but uh, but we all do it. Yep, yep. Yeah, I'm guilty of it. I can look back at times in my life where ignorance is a lot easier. Yep. It's bliss for a reason. And I, I just believe we're in a season of history where we can't afford that anymore. I agree. Yeah, I love it. Reed, I'm super grateful for your time and I'm really grateful for this conversation. It feels like there's a million other things we could talk about. Yeah. Also, please pray for us in California. Absolutely, um, man. <laughs> right before this call, everyone, we were talking about the recall election coming up in California, September 14th, but the ballots are out. We've got Larry Elder, um, who's the front runner on the conservative side to take over the governor's seat if we can get just over 50% on the yes vote. So Reed, please be praying for us from a position of sanity out there in Tennessee. Absolutely. You got it, man. What's going on in California. Reed, tell us a little bit about where people can learn more about you, where they can hear more of your content. 
Uh, I'm sure people today have been captivated by the way that you process thought, by the way that you formulate uh, an argument by the truth that you speak. And so I know people are going to want to keep up with you. How can they do that? Yeah, please do. I really appreciate it. I'm trying to uh, really emphasize our YouTube platform now. So youtube.com forward slash indie thinker, go on there, subscribe, uh, click the bell to be notified so that you can see when new episodes come out. I do a weekly episode every Monday with a brand new guest each week. And then on Wednesday, I release a bonus episode, which is just me typically talking about a current event from a Christian perspective, typically, um, and just try to shed some light on what's going on to bring information and insight. Um, and then uh, they can also check me out at indiethinker.org. They can support the show there. They can listen to the podcast there. Uh, they can rate the podcast as well on Apple or directly from the website. And that's indiethinker.org. Again, in indie, by the way, is I-N-D-I-E and then thinker um, and .org. So yeah, and then they can follow us on social media too at the Indie Thinker or they can follow me personally at Reed Uberman. Sweet. Okay, Reed, that sounds fantastic. Um, I'm also going to post all of the above in the episode description as well. So if any of you are listening to this and want to head there to see what he just said in writing and get hyperlinks out to those different sources, make sure that you do that as well. Um, Reed, it's been an honor to talk to you, man. And I hope that this is the first of many conversations. I, I know that you have a lot of great thoughts about what's happening around the world as well, uh, as it relates to the current of events, both here domestically and geopolitically. You know, you mentioned even Afghanistan. And so I really encourage people, go listen to those Wednesday episodes. Um, that's, that's an awesome way that you can uh, keep up to date with the current events through that Christian worldview. Reed, it's an honor, man. I hope uh, you have a fantastic rest of your week. I hope your listeners are blessed and that they enjoy the journey with you. I hope you get some new listeners from this, that this collaboration can be something special into the future. And friends, thank you so much for tuning in. Reed, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks so much, man. I appreciate everything you're doing with Public Square and I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. Awesome. We'll talk to you soon. Our thanks again to our guests for being on the show today. Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman was brought to you by our sponsors. If you like what you heard today, please do us a big favor and give it a five-star review and like it and share it with friends. And if you want to hear more awesome guests, make sure to check out past episodes. Indie Thinker is a nonprofit paid for by our sponsors and the generous gifts of people like you. In order to hear more great guests like you did today, please consider giving a tax-deductible gift by going to IndieThinker.org. And just remember, your voice matters, but infinitely more when you think for yourself.